I am the dead person inside me. I am no smaller than myself, no less papery. I breathe once and teeth come out. On my second breath, I am hunched into an incorrect shape. There is a monster in the trees guessing at my name. And now I am sure of only nothing and that I must embrace the void. Pathetic earthlings, hurling your bodies out into the void without the slightest inkling of who or what is out here. Is life just some kind of horrific joke without a punchline that we're all just biding our time until the sweet, sweet release of death? Take her to the moon for me, okay? Welcome, friends, to another episode of Embrace the Void, where it is bots v. gurus in the final showdown to see who gets credit for burning it all down. I am your anti-guru host, Aaron Rabinowitz, and with me this week is my three-time returning guest, guru stalker extraordinaire, and junior co-host of the Decoding the Gurus podcast, Chris Kavanaugh. Uh, Chris, as a three-time guest, I'm no longer obligated to tell anyone anything about you, so do you want to say hi to the Void again? Hello, Mr. Void, and I, I feel my contrarian urges, since you have occupied the anti-guru slot, that means I have to be pro Guru, um, yeah, Aaron, yeah, for I this forced conversation. You that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you could also just be anti-bots if you want. I mean, we've already discussed at length how you're pro-bots, right? Yeah, <laughs> pro-bots. The sooner the better. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I actually have in my academic life argued with people that the various people they are describing as bots are often just low-paid humans. Um, this is right. to do with like crowdsourcing. Uh, right. academic survey work uh so so there is look that's an overlap although i don't think the people fall into the guru category so yeah yeah it's a fun trajectory to watch low-paid human and ai slowly cross in their functionality at those various tasks it seems like yes and and i will say for all the right on academics i yeah. i noticed one of the last bastions in like social psychology conferences for was that it was fine to disparage um, mechanical Turk workers or that kind of thing. So again, mm -hmm. just a hobby horse, but you know. Yeah. When are we going to get AIs good enough that we can train them to be the test subjects for our social sciences so that we stop having to study humans? Already papers uh, already from okay, social great. psychologists <laughs> arguing that we can do this. And, and everyone says ethicists are monsters who invent <laughs> things. Y'all are over here just building a whole new world of unspeakable, uh, incomprehensible human horrors. Yeah. Um, I respect Always that looking you. for money saving ways to, to cut the edges. That's it. It's a relearning the same thing over and over again in an endless Sisyphean cycle. Yeah. So speaking of, we, we are going to talk about your, you know, uh, peer reviewed publications here in a second. But first, I wanted to check in on your 
you know, arguably more impactful, if slightly more informal work, solving the problem of guruism. I had mm. you back on, this, so we said third time, so you were on EV170, which was your state of the IDW, which everybody, of course, listened to and references. understands your Randomly. nuanced differences between <laughs> the members of the IDW. There's no confusion or overgeneralizing about any of these issues. Do I you, do yeah. use it. As a yeah. citation for people when they are saying that I don't distinguish between that entire group and I, I yeah, say Yeah, and the listenership on the episode really shows that that is super effective. <laughs> yeah. uh, they they <laughs> always, like as with most internet debates, I'm sure they go all right away and go listen to an hour, 17-minute mm. conversation. That's, that's yeah. what people do online, Aaron. That's how fair they are. To be fair, they have to suffer through my intros, so it may not be their fault. Uh, Do you want to, though, tell folks a little bit, like, what is the state of the guru sphere at this point? Um, Where where are y'all at with stuff? Yeah, it's not going well. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry to report back. But yeah, I I do think um, that it's things morph around and change it's interesting to look at the ebbs and flows you know i think we we did a state of the idw the idw pretty much is dead right as a as a concept that people endorse um i haven't heard the term much anymore yeah but uh, but i think the the general phenomenon is like an endless repeating like cluster right so mm-hmm. now Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson are recognized as polemical partisans, but in occupying their position, you kind of have, you know, trigonometry and uh, some other folks coming up who are still posing as enlightened centrists. I'm not saying that the only trajectory is from enlightened centrism to right-wing polemicist, but it's certainly a well-trodden path so yeah that that's happening and and i did notice that um you know when last we spoke we were talking about the divisions uh during the covid the season of covid ongoing as it is but um that uh you know within folks like sam harris and claire layman uh disparaging brett weinstein and and uh joe rogan so the kind of there was a genuine division um, there, but it's also worth noting that, uh, like for example, recently Sam Harris went on Majid Nawaz's um, podcast. Did he just? And yes, he did. They had a three-hour did conversation. Did they discuss any uh, particular conspiracy theories on that three-hour conversation? They did, and mm-hmm. and Sam disagreed and kind of you know pushed back against some of the Majid's conclusions. But the thing which they reach at the end, which (laughs) I I was listening to Dave Rubin uh, talk to Sam Harris on an AMA from 2017. And the same sentiment was being voiced then. Um, This was Sam invited uh, Dave Rubin on to talk about, you know, claims that he was not, that he was being biased and he wasn't, properly pushing guests and basically Dave Rubin, you know, said, no, 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 no. I'm just, you know, I'm letting people speak freely. I'm not injecting my opinion. I'm, I'm in no way polemical. And he also said, you know, all these people who want everybody to fight and be, 
you know, argumentative and, and call people out. They're just like, you know, brain mobs on online. And isn't it good, Sam, that, you know, even we don't see eye to eye on all issues and things, but we can sit down and we can have dinner. And uh, the, the conclusion of the Majid Nawaz conversation um, was, you know, I don't know if we reached any accord here. I don't know if we really see eye to eye on things, but Next time you're in town, <laughs> steaks yeah. and, 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 you know, nice dinner. So, like, the, the general thing is I, I'm i just impressed by how important dinners are amongst this this neck of the woods. Well, they they must be really good dinners. That's all yeah, I can well, say. Yeah, well, that's my guess. Let me, let me push back on you some here. I mean, I wonder how much they would just say, look – it's really awkward to have a three hour conversation and end it with like, go fuck yourself. You know, like, is there a, like a, like maybe that like, let's go have dinner thing. Is there very, very mild version of, you know, I appreciate you doing this thing, blah, like, like there's always no, that. I get that yeah. when I go on other shows, you know, I, I give an alliance for, for that kind of thing, but it's, okay. it's not, it's not like a superficial point at the end. It's kind of a through line. They spend right. a lot of time on it. Okay. Yeah, and and at the beginning, it is also uh, like the initial opening is uh, Majid reporting that Sam sent him like a, a kind of strongly worded apology for the way that he had you know spoke about him during the pandemic and uh, and as the way Majid presented it was an unreserved uh, apology, right? And and Majid is not somebody who's just promoted. COVID conspiracies, that's already bad enough as anti-vax, but, but Majid was all in on the big lie. Uh, yeah, did he apologize know? for any of that stuff? Uh, no, but he kind of justified why it's it's reasonable from his perspective. And, you know, Sam doesn't mm. agree. He does push back on, on various things, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just view all this stuff as there's a lot of effort made to say it's very important that we maintain you know, like friendly relationships, even though we don't see eye to eye. And I always feel like nobody is zinging. Well, not nobody. Most people are not zinging people for like being willing to talk to somebody who has fallen down a conspiracy rabbit hole or whatever. But they're just saying if the person is promoting like hard right mm -hmm. polemical content, anti-vaccine rhetoric, that's the bit that you know, deserves criticism. And that's the, the part that like most people are focusing on. They're, they're not saying yeah. you know, like the, that there is no personal relationships that are like, that it's impossible to sit down and have a nice dinner with someone who holds cookie beliefs. Louis Farouk demonstrated that's extremely possible, right? With neo-Nazis, you could do it if you want. Like, right. Well, yeah. So, I mean, like, I think it's worth talking a little bit about what is trying to be signaled here, right? Because I do think this is signaling behavior. And, like, I think it's interesting to ask, like, are they just trying to signal, you know, uh, I think that the best way to get, you know, Nawaz back, you know, into a reasonable state of mind is to have dinner with him and hang out like human beings and sort of use social nudges to push him back into the community in this kind of way. Or... Or is it more of a, like, these aren't, like, important, like, the super important differences that you should end a friendship over or, like, really have a serious fight over compared to other things that we think, 
you know, like, are, are there like super woke individuals that Sam Harris is saying that he desperately wants to have dinner with to, you know, do the similar process with? I don't know. It doesn't seem so. Right. And that that's kind of part of my issue is like, you know, you can it, it's probably a little bit disparaging um, to just refer to it all as civility porn, because I've, I think, like you say, there are aspects of it that you could, you know, you can put in a better light, but at, at the same time, I like a bunch of these people, and I'd single, you know, Sam Harris specifically in this regard, don't have a good track record with identifying people that are becoming polemical conspiracists or, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. like hard right figures. They don't have a good history of identifying it, and. And yet there's never, it seems to me, there's very rarely a moment of, well, you know, there's occasional times when there's a a voicing of, you know, maybe my heuristics aren't good, but that lasts very little time. And then there's a a quick movement to, well, you know, the important thing is to try and be charitable and to, you know, be willing to discuss differences and so on. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, neoliberal center left person so i'm i'm and i by nature sort of a deep rape bro so i'm i'm broadly you know quite tolerant about having indulging conversations and debates about topics that that other people probably You're basically wouldn't. a fascist anyway of course you'll have yeah yeah fascist, but right? but even for me like if i had missed you know this if loads of people were telling me dave rubin is a polemicist and i hadn't got it and then right. people were telling me, you know, Brett Weinstein, Eric Weinstein, a conspiracist, and I hadn't got it. I would have a bit more humility about my ability to identify how, you know, the would the you? kind of currents. I think, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I, I, look, I would. Like, you know, just to just to give you shit, right? Like, you hang around me too much, and people call me a polemicist. So yeah. you have a blind spot for, <laughs> you know, other neoliberal, uh, squish, woke, uh, semi-woke centrists or whatever. No, um, I know what you are. <laughs> so, okay, like, fair enough. Like, yeah. You, the, <laughs> you just the, happen, you're just willing to sit down and eat dinner with hookers is what you're saying, or prostitutes. Well, no, see, the thing is, like, with you, Aaron, you don't say that you are something you're not, right? Like, you self-identify as progressive and woke inclined, right? If you take, mm-hmm. the, you know, like mm-hmm. what people usually refer to with woke. I'm, I'm, right? I'm taking the word back. We're taking it back. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. so like to me, that's that's quite clearly what you are. There's no, there's no mystery. We have right. you know, various DM debates about <laughs> topics back and forth and whatnot. So yeah. I, yeah, I don't, that's the thing. I, if people, but the important thing is that we can come on here and have dinner together and that's what really, well, you the, know, the, that we keep those debates private away from <laughs> any sort of but public they, view. Not, not that They're not private. We, They're really boring. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, like, you know, I, I think when you don't like something that yeah. I say, of course, there's a degree of charity that you extend to people that you have relationships with. It's inevitable, right? We're social beings most of us and we we do respond differently to people that we like the people that we've met but this is presented by uh like people in the heterodox sphere as like a huge conundrum right like it's it's really confusing that like what are we supposed to do that we we get on with people but then they become 
anti-vax loons. And I'm just like, this is not a very complicated issue. You right. you like the person interpersonally, they're nice, their ideology is harmful, and they're promoting pseudoscience. So you can criticize that, you can criticize their heuristics, even their character, but like, yeah, mm -hmm. that, that, there's tons of people that are horrible monsters that you could probably have had, you know, a nice cigar <laughs> with. And there's lots of people in between. So I don't know. The sure. interpersonal thing just doesn't seem mysterious to me. It seems mundane. I wonder how much it is kind of a bit of a like mirroring what humans experience in their day to day lives at like a weird blown up scale. And so it's strange, but it ma like it. It registers, like you know, resonates for people in their lives dealing with their actual family members who are having all of these slides into conspiracies. Let me let me ask you one more question though about this, and then I want to get onto the papers because there's a lot to unpack there. Um, you all you all have often been accused of that kind of selection bias. You know, everyone has blind spots, um, especially in terms of like who y'all have decoded. Um, mm. My understanding is y'all have done some folks we would call left of center at this point. Do you want to talk a little bit about the left of center IDW insofar as any such thing exists or what you've learned about the kind of left of center guru situation versus the centrist and right wing version? Yeah, I, I do think there's a bunch of people on the left that fit, you know, that sort of template. But I but I do think the characteristics are different because you one problem that you reach is a lot of people want to point you to figures like Glenn Greenwald, Jimmy Dore, right, uh, Aaron right. Mate, you know, and ostensibly, according to them, For, former they, leftist, yes. yeah, that's the thing. They're, they're kind of post left, right? You know, they and actually, they're much more. They're all fans of Elon, <laughs> right? So that right, should right. that should tell you something. So I setting those aside because I would class them as you know similar to the IDW types that we cover. Um, I do think you have. People, you know, we've looked at Ibram X, Candy, um, and uh, Oprah Winfrey, a kind of classical, uh, like kind of lefty spiritual guru in a way. Um, but I, and I do think there are pundits who operate in sort of gurish uh, ways. Chomsky would be a, an obvious example. Mm -hmm. And we're actually about to head into a, a, a season or mini season of looking at left wing gurus, including Chomsky. But I, but I, I do think Marianne Williams, Marianne Williamson. Uh, no, yeah. I mean we could do her, but it feels like shooting fish in a barrel. But the well, she is um, going to be a presidential candidate, so maybe you know this is true. But you know, RFK Jr. as, as well. There's like there's sure. no shortage of mental. Um, she, I find that she gets quite a bit of like, oh no, she's actually serious coverage sometimes, though, in a way that yeah. she does not. Yeah, this is this is true, and I mean, we've covered. I was actually surprised y'all hadn't done her yet because, like, she seems like such a, 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 you know, like a straightforward subject, especially given her connections to a bunch of weird, wooey kind of stuff. She's on the list, but because she's, you know, kind of more, uh, like she falls into the kind of conspirituality space and new age mm -hmm. space more readily. Mm -hmm. The the conspirituality guys have done a bunch on her and sort of QAnon right, Anonymous. Right. So it sort of feels redundant. Um, but but we we have had people request that we do her. And like uh, I think we will eventually. We'll get to everyone 
eventually. Mm-hmm. But so I, I, Matt has a slightly different opinion, I think, on this because he often says there aren't really comparable figures on the left. But I think there are. And I think a lot of them actually are just in ecosystems that we as like, I don't know what, what age am I? I guess I'm a millennial. Uh, like don't geriatric millennial, I think. Right? Yeah, geriatric. I'm right in the border, 1983. <laughs> so um, yeah. don't pay attention to like streamers and influencers, right? And I would include in that like people like Hassan Abi, and and uh, so mm-hmm. I want to have a look at those kind of things because I do find the influencer streamer uh, stuff quite interesting. Yeah, I feel but like the young Turks have got to have some stuff for you or something. Yeah, yeah. So we try we try to stay away from, you know, like political polemicists, but everybody it ends up is a <laughs> is a Yeah, I don't understand if you were just explaining that Dave Rubin is a polemicist and you tell you like We didn't want to do Dave Rubin though for oh, that oh, I reason. See, I see. That's right. the like it's so Peter's you know, like they're all kind of polemicists, aren't they? Well that's the that's the problem. That's, that's the point. unfortunate yeah, okay. problem. Like yeah. every even ones that we've done who at the time didn't like we did JP Sears as a break. Mm. To do like a cookie uh, character, and then we listened to his content and was like, "Oh, it's it's all like about the election (laughs) and and you know." I used to listen to his stuff too. His comedy used to be like some of it was fun, you know. Yeah, it's it lands a lot differently now when you when you listen back to it. Like I think it was of its time, but you know, which is true of a lot of canceled comedians. Let's say Um, some of them have got, got some good bits, but they're hard to listen to because they're so true. Yeah, in, well, in his case, like, I think if you went back and listened to it, just comedy, comedy taste, it's not even, I'm not even talking about, you oh, know, right. yeah, yeah. the the kind of, you know, not politically correct stuff. I mean, more like, it's just, it's, it's not pretty lands with a fun. So, uh, so yeah, but I mean, so that's, that's the thing, but I, I don't have any issue with doing like David Pacman and for people closer to us, you know, the uh, Folks like, well, I don't know if Destiny is well, particularly close to us, but like, you know, yeah. cent- there's yeah, lots of people you can pick a fight with over there. Um, cent- center left moderate types are a little bit less interesting because they tend to be more boring. And like, you know, that's, that's, that's the problem is I think they don't attract as much you know, like of a, a kind of devoted following. They tend to be more pundit types. So. You did mention though that you said there were some sort of broad differences between these kinds of gurus did you want to just mention sort of any key highlights there yeah so i i kind of like to look into it more to to flesh this out but i would say on the left there's a lot more use of irony and like self-deprecating humor which it, it sort of punctures in a way like the the self-important aspect mm. of a lot of the the kind of right wing uh like you know conspiratorial jordan peterson kind sure. of thing but i but i think that is often used as a deflectionary tactic and also a kind of eye rolling mm-hmm. <laughs> is sometimes used as a replacement for actual argumentation like you know right. the 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 kind of comedy aspects of it i think play a part and then you know just in in general this is my experience i don't know if it's entirely true but it looks like there's a lot more money on the right wing 
side. I'm not saying you can't do a, you know, the, the dirt bike left right. has plenty of like, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. Yeah. Podcast, but I know from my like slightly centristy things that the, the, a whole bunch of right wing things just throw money around. <laughs> and, and like sure. even me, right. You know, I'm a know. very minor person, but I've been the only people who have offered me money to do stuff are like, uh, weird, <laughs> right wing leaning stuff so yeah that's right. I, I think there's Tied a weird uh, academic activities yeah just just like stuff which i actually wouldn't mind doing except then i'm kind of like well but i don't want to accept money uh, to do that and i yeah it just listed alongside certain other individuals exactly um, yes correct yeah um right you're afraid so... of guilt by association because you're a coward i understand uh let's talk about <laughs> yeah. your papers <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh no, one other I thing, Aaron. One other yeah. thing. This possibly might not be right, but sub, like, kind of supplement chilling. I guess this relates to that mm -hmm. whole mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. I guess I, I, you know, I would class Huberman mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Lex Friedman a little bit in a, a slightly separate sphere. Um, and, but sure. th there just seems a, a slight more tolerance towards chilling things. But I don't know. I, that could be just I'm I'm not exposed enough to left-wing content to see what they're shilling um i bet they're shilling naturalism stuff that is basically the same thing just probably packaged differently and you know like slightly different uh vibes um yeah they're I, definitely you know, you shilling parasociality yeah. like the, the sure, you know sure. all of i mean with hassan avi and a whole bunch of people the the kind of point is often made that they are millionaires living in mansions while uh like decrying capitalist systems which you know i'm not saying i'm i am aware of the little guy popping out of the well um saying mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm, the uh, right. curious but but i but i do think there is something that guy right uh, yeah i do think there's something of a potential contradiction there sure. when you're earning you know eighty thousand or something from your podcast per month um yeah i i I, that's capitalistically you're very successful right right um okay i have more thoughts there but maybe we'll save them for bonus stuff i want to talk some about your papers before we run out of time and i, I, I say your papers you are the second author which i assume just means you did the editing um uh, it's relatively accurate yeah pretty much so accurate the... right taking credit for uh, it looks like a woman's work i think in this case julia ebner who i should probably get on to actually explain these things at some point you should she's very yeah. good uh, uh -huh. she's a researcher of extremism uh for quite a long uh time and um, but but actually in interesting trajectory because started out as you know working in ngos and and kind of research, mm -hmm. think tanky kind of stuff, but now has just uh, completed or is in the process of completing her PhD. And she is my, mm. uh, I'm one of her supervisors. So it's- Oh, work. I see. So you're just getting credit for her work because you're her supervisor. I, I understand. That's um, it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I so, just provide the annoying feedback constantly. <laughs> yeah. So you shared these with me and they- are definitely in my wheelhouse. The titles of the two papers that you shared were uh, the QAnon security threat, a linguistic fusion-based violence risk assessment, and 
is there a language of terrorists uh, comparative manifesto analysis? Um, I tried to parse these, but they're really dense with like woke verbiage about like woke verbiage. <laughs> yeah, you've got all this stuff about high prevalence of linguistic identity fusion, which obviously is just critical theory nonsense. Um, no, no, so I was wondering no, no, if you could no. try to parse for me like what's going on with this There's identity no... fusion language concept here. Don't besmirch me, Aaron. There's no <laughs> critical theory. I'm besmirching in... Julia, technically. <laughs> yeah. Well, well. So the one one thing I can speak to is like Julia is applying a model, a theoretical model um, about uh, radicalization and extremism, which I've worked on quite a lot in my ritual work, and which my uh, my kind of boss, mm. my PhD supervisor Harvey Whitehouse is the is the person who developed that. And so she's applying that model, which we've been working on for quite a while, to uh, this material. So the, yeah, do you want to spin that model then for starters? Yeah. Yeah. So I, identity fusion is, uh, you know, psychologists like to study group bonding and these kind of things. And they like to come up with terms uh and and develop mm -hmm. skills right mm -hmm. self-report mm -hmm. or other types of skills where they measure concepts and then they apply it to this specific um psychological term that they've come up with and and then all their psychologists use it and they reap uh citations right and they carve up the messy qualitative world into like quantitative artificial categories but so identity fusion is one of those um and it's it's contrapositioned uh, it to social identity theory, group identification. Um, okay. I, I, there's various reasons that people have proposed why these are different types of like bonding and why it's significant. But the, the kind of key aspects that I think are worth um, considering and apply even if you don't really buy the actual you know distinctions between these two broad categories of group bonding are that uh, identity fusion is supposed to be where there's strong relational ties towards a group. Uh, so instead of like a depersonalized categorical type membership where you you don't feel attached to, you know, it's more the group that you're attached to, like a a religious group, right? Like if you imagine uh -huh. you don't know all the you strongly identify Christians. as a Catholic or something. Right, yeah, like that kind of thing. Or it worked for a company, <laughs> right? Um, so the way that example came to mind when I was chatting with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and, and also an important aspect is in the traditional social identity uh, theory model, there's this thing called functional antagonism, which is basically humans are made up of all different uh, like social and, and personal identities, right? And broadly sure. speaking, when a social identity is activated, your personal identity goes down. So mm -hmm. in... If you are, for example, uh, Aaron with your friends and family talking, you're Aaron, right? And your idiosyncratic habits are of interest and whatnot. If you're Aaron in Japan, you're an exemplar of an American and you will be mm -hmm. kind of presented in that way that, you know, you're speaking for Americans or whatever, and you might be become more stereotyped. Or if you're at a football match and you are, you know, the, the other people are supporting the rival team. That's the identity which is more salient in that context. So all these are saying that like there's a kind of hydraulic relationship and 
uh, and that implication of it, it would be including for things like group violence, right? That right. personal identity can uh, dissolve to some extent in highly social identity salient contexts, so, and yeah. you could be more violent. Yeah, let me see if I can understand. Just so, so as I understand what you're describing, these aren't like it's either this or that theories. It's like these are two different models for how sometimes there is a relationship between identity and individuals. Is that right? It, so, yes. So uh, I kind of mix things in there. But what I just described, that functional antagonism principle is right. classical social identity theory, right? And, right. and that's right. the kind of categorical... So, yeah, so, so like, just like broadly speaking, though, psychologically, what, what it seems like you're describing are one kind of person-to-group identity where it's not about interpersonal connections with other individuals so much as a subsuming of personal identity into a group identity. You're Nazis, you're, you Correct. know, you're, you're yes. Catholics in the broad sense versus, you know, like if you have your Irish Catholics who like are, are Catholic because they are closely connected to a family or community or something. And, and it, the, the identity goes via those interpersonal relations. That's the thing that y'all are focused on. Is that right? So identity fusion where it dis right. is distinctive from this is essentially saying that there are plenty of group contexts and, and like strong group bonds where personal and group identity are kind of synergistically activated and self-reinforcing mm -hmm. mm -hmm. such that right. you are interpersonally connected to individuals in the group or potentially the group in a relational way, you know, like personifying the group, but like, uh, but that interpersonal relational style bonds are important and your personal identity remains salient as well mm -hmm. as the group identity. And, and the important distinction here would be like, if you're uh, like, if your group is attacked, it is like your personal identity being attacked and vice versa. If you're attacked, you can uh, like transpose that onto the group is being attacked. So but that doesn't happen in the classic social model. In social identity okay. theory, it is more, more described as like, if you're one, highly one identified, your personal identity goes down. Right. So like if the, if mm. the group is being attacked, that's not necessarily directly uh, like an attack on your personal identity unless you're like subsumed oh, i guess into... i would have thought of being more like a one directional like you know if someone attacks the nazi party then they're attacking every individual but we don't care about the individual's identity yeah, that... being attacked it is know? it is like that it's just this like mm -hmm. there's just this weird quirk about like personal activation it's kind of like psychologists you know I doing see. studies mm -hmm. where they try to make so social or personal identity salient and then say if you threaten a group identity does it cause a stronger reaction if you have this kind of body right. or whatever and the way they're measured is like you're using you know verbal scales or in particular fusion is often associated with this variation of the inclusion of self and other scale which is like these right. two circles and you you know say which one represents your relationship with the group to them overlapping and being like subsumed um yeah, and I want to get into the methods in these studies a little bit because I'm curious about how that works and what you think like we can really derive from this. Um, but let's just say broadly speaking, just to help people feel grounded in sort of practically what you're describing, because like I want to make sure that people are getting a sense of what this looks like for human psychology on the ground. What does it look like in terms of, you know, 
behavioral things that you're checking for here? What are you what are you concerned might be the case if it's true that, you know, there's a bunch of this um, linguistic identity fusion running around in QAnon? Yes. So this is the issue. So the um, the the model uh, proposed by Harvey Whitehouse, the anthropologist at Oxford, is that when you have this uh, strong relational type of bonding, you know, identity fusion or just, you know, some form of relational bonding with a group and you have a perceived external threat. Um, uh, and ideally when you have a group which endorses violent action, right? Uh, this is important as well. Like what group values mm -hmm. are activated. Then you have like a potent uh, tinderbox for extreme pro-group action. Now, if your group has group values, which are like the extreme pro-group action is sacrifice your life to do humanitarian work, right? Like white helmet kind of stuff sure. in, in Syria. This can be very good, right? Like because you are willing to lay down your life for a cause and to, you know, help help people out uh, when there's like a crisis situation. Um, however, if there are... Uh, like endorsements of, of violent action, this kind of bonding is uh, proposed to be particularly likely to lead to people uh, performing violent actions, not just endorsing them, but actually conducting them. Whereas... Is that compared to the classic model? Yeah, and the argument is that the, the classic model, it's not that it can never lead to violence. There's plenty of occasions where people are like highly ideologically committed to a group and and you know are sure. willing to perform actions or um like uh de-individuated in in a group scenario and and perform violence but it's more that that can also occur where people will ideologically endorse violence but not be willing to do it right and and the mm -hmm. argument mm -hmm. is that identity fusion is the better driver or this kind of relational group bonding is a better group driver and predictor of like actual uh, violent action. Yeah. I have two questions. One is I'd be curious if you could give any like clear cut case examples where you're like, this is very strongly driven by this kind of identity fusion, this particular violent action. And I also, what came to mind is, is there a connection to the particular kind of playbook of like in-person cult you know like identity fusion do, do you yeah. see like high identity fusion in those in the, like and that drives you know behavior within those communities more strongly yeah so like it's not just the particular model proposed by like harvey whitehouse that that makes this argument like if you take scott atrin the anthropologist he also emphasizes right that what um the kind of potent combination is a a devotion to secret values, which you could see as the ideological component, right? Secret values that being mm -hmm. values that you won't trade for any amount of money and, and you kind of regard as, you know, beyond negotiation that Palestine is mm -hmm. uh, the land of the Palestinians, for example, right? Um, then, but the other side of that, he talks about this this kind of, Relation, intensely relational connection with other people 
and and a kind of you know band of brothers or that kind of thing. And so when you look at people say the nine eleven terrorists, right? There there is the aspect where they're committed to the jihad, right, and to attack America for its perceived crimes, um, and mm-hmm. uh, they're in on Al-Qaeda ideology. However, they're also arranged in cells where they are small, closely-knit group of people with strong relational ties who, you know, self-reinforce. And this model you see very often, even when you have a bigger organization where you might have like a terrorist uh, you know, a war, yeah. a, an international terrorist organization, often organized into these smaller cells for the the groups that are going to perform attacks or that kind uh-huh. of thing. So, uh-huh. okay, it, it, there's not. It's not that there's no exception to this. You do get right. people who do things on their own, or you know, um, are kind of forced into it because of circumstances. Like, for example, an alternative would be, or I don't know. This is actually an, uh, an alternative, maybe in a way, um, supports this. But like the kamikaze pilots in Japan are often presented as like these, uh, you know, brainwashed fanatics who were willing, mm-hmm. happy to die for the emperor. But we know from their diaries and from records about the training that they um, endured and letters that they sent that, you know, there was no option, really. Like the the way it was presented was this is the correct thing to do. And yes, they were indoctrinated, you know, for, for the education system, but also they felt a very strong obligation to their family. And if they don't do it, someone else in their, you know, regiment or whatever is going to take part in it. So it, it, that creates that, like, is that the, the, because, people really, you know, want to sacrifice their life? Or is that more, you know, the kind of uh, like a, an, an, a structural system that forces people to sacrifice their life? But still in there mm. is this important thing about, you know, relational ties, be it to family or to like fellow soldiers. So I think models that downplay that aspect are often missing an important component. And in, in the case with these, there's there's actually three papers. There's one more um, with with Julia that is looking at. Uh, so we we kind one of the papers is looking at mm. these fifteen manifestos. Um, oh, sorry, yeah, of, you did send a third one. I apologize. Um, you know the, the third one, one. The third one. There's two of them that go together. So oh, two of them are focused on these manifestos, and we basically did like a content analysis of the manifestos looking at these uh, like kind of linguistic categories or linguistic markers for a whole bunch of different things, including identity fusion, including uh, social identification with the group, but but also, you know, dehumanizing language, uh, mm-hmm. conspiracy <laughs> beliefs, so on. Yeah, and and so I want to get, get into your methods some, because um, I think it's, it's helpful for people to understand kind of how the sausage gets made a little bit. Um, otherwise it just sounds like hand-waving and making claims. Um, but I want to bait this hook a little bit more because I think it seems to me intuitively, you know, check my logic on this, but if what y'all are saying is accurate, 
right? We have this question in America in particular right now, but generally about stochastic terrorism that, hmm. you know, your Alex Joneses of the world say certain things and those there's a, there's a decent chance that those behaviors turn in, you know, those claims turn into behaviors by certain listeners, right? Um, what it seems like you're saying is, if you look at two communities and one of them has this much higher rate of linguistic identity fusion representing a kind of relational connections within the, you know, the, the, um, the smaller communities that those individuals, if their ideology is attached, like you said, to a broader, you know, Alex Jones kind of narrative, they're going to be at higher risk. It seems like of actually taking terrorist actions, for example, is that the concern? Yeah, so I, I think the, the kind in in Harvey's model, the the kind of three factors that are emphasized is the presence of identity fusion, existential threat, uh, like a perceived existential threat and a group condoning like violent actions, right? So there there is the ideological um component of it. But so if mm. if you have those three things together, that 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 is a a potentially more dangerous set of catalysts than uh, other factors, which are also important, like things like martyrdom narratives or justification of violence, or uh, sorry, or uh, dehumanization, like these kind of things. So there's there's a whole bunch of you know there's a mm -hmm. lot of work on what kind of things drive people to engage in violent actions or to even or endorse violent actions which are different right that's because there's a lot more people that endorse violent actions than actually engage in them um sure. and the the it's not like you want people to be endorsing violence and to you know dehumanizing the right group but but if you can only <laughs> yeah. if the goal is to stop you know violence from happening you want to know what is the the most likely people to engage in violence and and that's yeah. kind of um mm -hmm. what what we're interested in looking at like is it possible to identify um like higher right. risk right so there's a couple of tempting threads to pull on there but i do want to hear a little bit about methods first and then i'm going to like try to cause you to say inappropriate things um <laughs> what how does this work you know, I like in your in your methods descriptions, right? We get a bit of like coding of these things. I'm not sure that like I think coding is probably a term people might understand intuitively, but like, do you want to give some sense of how how your approach works and what level of confidence you come away with that this is tracking something out there in reality? Yeah. So so like I said, in, in two of the papers, and they're really connected. There's a uh, 15 manifestos that are examined and this includes like 12 which are ideologically extreme um and things like dylan roof's manifesto brenton tarrant the christchurch shooters manifesto uh adolf hitler's mein kampf <laughs> right the classics mm, the classics sure. um and, Gotta play and we have three moderate comparison uh manifestos or speeches right simon simon de bouvier the second sex martin luther king i have a dream speech greta thunberg our house is on fire um so Those these were <laughs> well like so they're ideologically uh activated but in terms of 
uh, like violent oh, self-sacrifice, okay. okay. ideologically extreme. Like the comparison group matters, right? Anders Breivik, Elliot sure. Rogers. Okay, okay. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> the, sure. these, There's not so, a lot of shoot people and I have a dream speech. I'll give you that. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, there's a lot. There's a a large amount of uh, text there, right? And and then the question is, okay, so how to look at it? And there's a lot of different ways that you can look at it. You could you could do it qualitatively, just read them all, detect themes, and and kind of characterize, you know, qualitatively what Vibing, is. I think that's called. yeah. What 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 you see there, um, and <clears throat> you can. You can also see if people uh, detect the same themes, right? So it, 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 one mm-hmm. thing which you might want to do with content analysis is give people a set of uh, categories and then ask them to code material into that categories. You can code for uh-huh. the absence or presence of it, or you can you know, uh, see which category they put stuff into. Um, and you could do that with relevant experts, or you could do this with uh, coders that you train on your like naive coders, so to speak, not experts, but people who you give your coding rubric to and say, sure. code this material. And then you can look, do they agree with each other, right? The, how reliable is the coding uh, amongst, say, compared between experts and non-experts? Um, and indeed, we did this. So uh, we did... Uh, Julia, I should say primarily, did the qualitative uh, assessment of the manifestos and and then recruited experts to code like material um, selected from that to see if they identified the same categories and and then uh, non-experts, 20-odd non-experts and compared their codings with the ones that are already there. So that's one set of analyses, which is, I think, in the paper that you looked at. And then we also did uh, statistical analysis, like giving, feeding into a, you know, a a kind of data analysis software, uh, the linguistic codes that we have and the full text, and then asking it to categorize the content, the relative proportions in the different um, content. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, also taking out uh, the stuff which it has categorized and checking. But is this coherent? Did it select like mm-hmm. reasonable mm-hmm. Uh, things in those categories? <laughs> so <I'm just> remembering <laughs> for folks who want to understand how science works, I'm remembering the, the DM conversation now that we had where you were like, how do I describe any of this in my text? Like, what <laughs> oh. words would you use? What things would you block out? <laughs> like, how many strings of slurs would you include in your peer-reviewed materials? Yeah, there's a lot in... So, yeah, like because... As a question, how would you phrase this? <laughs> there's a lot of slurs, right? Yeah. Especially... So, the one, this is not... So, we did this with manifestos, but then we also looked at uh, kind of logs of conversations, uh, chat logs or Discord uh, text logs for various different QAnon um, yeah. groups. You're off-air Nazis, you know. Water yeah, Nazis. So, so there's a lot of stuff 
in there that isn't um you know particularly nice a lot of slurs um and and whatnot and so if you're describing <laughs> what you would count as like you know derogatory slurs or outgroup dehumanization you have to use the language that they use or you have to represent it somewhere um but the question is like do you put it in the paper or how many stars do you put in the paper you know to to uh so th yeah that was just a, and debates a, about a, like is it bad to like hide that stuff is it better like is it whitewashing if you put it in the appendix should it be up and, front and, and there are certain slurs which seem <laughs> like more acceptable or you feel less <laughs> there's a word you can't say that's the worst <laughs> word yes yeah so you know th then you're like it's well but we can't exclude it for one group and then allow the slurs for other groups so yeah it's it, that that was that was uh an, an issue um and we went with that we would provide warnings and then represent it right and we'll see you trigger ones, did you uh well Despite we all the scientific evidence against their efficacy yeah well mainly uh, i would say a little bit of arse covering <laughs> to say sure we're going to include these like a but, classic you know... neoliberal shell of course i know <laughs> yeah. you're just doing it so that you don't get sued yeah so so that's what we did and we looked at and i would say as well just one note here is that i personally i my co-authors might disagree with this but like i regard uh the whatever particular theoretical model that you're arguing for or that you know you do the analysis and you say well these factors seem to be uh like more recurrent or whatever i'm actually like pretty agnostic about which model is the best like if mm. people run a whole bunch of analysis with additional data sets and they find out that it's other predictors which are more commonly associated mm -hmm. right or you add in other linguistic corpuses and the things that we highlighted actually turn out to be like less significant i'm i'm perfectly fine with that i my general thing is that science and and efforts especially to quantify and triangulate things it just has to be transparent it has to be you have to put all of the stuff out so that other people can apply the analyses and i would like to see for example um more tests done with material that is ideologically strong but not uh regarded as like harmful mm -hmm. right because like say kinship language i think you would find that kind of thing in a lot of uh you know groups that people have no issue with uh in including you know like human yeah. rights organizations and stuff so or yeah. or just religious groups that um right well it seems like know, almost all communities are running on it to some degree like that's the basic hardware like the basic software of a community is interpersonal relationships um yeah i want to yeah. yeah i want to actually talk specifically about one example of that but let me just ask while we're talking methods counter examples like theoretically you should be going out there trying to disprove your theory because that's what good science looks like because falsification is the gold standard or something i don't understand science um <laughs> just part of it yes. i'm just pissing off <laughs> all the Kunians now um the like how do you look for disconfirming examples like do you guys go out and find you folks go out and find like communities that meet the three criteria you described but seem to never produce violent action and like 
you know, are there are, are there groups like that out there or is it possible to look for something like that? Yes, I think it 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 is. There's like there's a kind of endless amount of groups that you can look at and I I think you, you do need to look like before you want would draw any really strong conclusions, you would want to do what you're talking about which is like uh look for groups that that fit the characteristics um but but aren't associated with violence and just do all of the same analyses and see how uh like what what level the indicators are at now we did do this to a certain extent like i said we had free mm-hmm. uh you know moderate in a certain sense um like texts that we compared the manifestos to but that's only three right and two of them are speeches so that mm-hmm. important difference there um also when we looked at the q groups uh we had uh, i think it was uh 11 or so groups maybe more but we we did look at um some comparison groups a non-violent uh control group was uh this the third r um kind of a, a religious community right but mm-hmm. one that, that that we had like an extensive uh chat log with and then a um a violent control group iron march like you know kind of neo-nazi group mm-hmm. so there are and and also we from the QAnon groups that we looked at, there's a there's groups which are much less extreme than others, right? They're, they're more like conspiracy oriented. So it isn't like we have a a table in it that based on our like kind of indicators, fusion plus threat plus calls to violence and an estimated violence risk. And we we did find channels that were low uh, on those indicators or medium. Right, there was only uh, one that was very high, and um, from the mm. ones that we looked at, so it it's important to note. I think that you know QAnon, and like if you listen to QAnon Anonymous, right, there's so many different uh, subgroups within that broad movement, and there's people with like differing degrees of interest in it and devotion to it, and you're always going to have some who are more ideologically extreme. And you and you will have uh, subgroups which are like more cultish and and that yeah. kind of thing. So I, I uh-huh. think it's important when talking about it, like to kind of keep that in mind. That especially yeah, if you're talking about movements with millions of people, that they're not all, you know, potential violent terrorists. Right. And I would also assume this analysis would apply to a lot of kinds of like all behavior to some extent, not just like you're interested in violent extremism. But if you swap violent extremism out for anti-vaxxerism, that you'd find yep. similar trends that like anti-vax, like, you know, think of um, uh, ultra Hasidic communities, right? They're going to be really high on this and are more susceptible to that kind of thing. Yeah. And you could be question. At- yeah, hold on. Atten- I, wanna, I mean, yeah. just stuff like attendance to rallies, donations to, right. you know, like donations sure. to political candidates or whatever. And I, I would say, Aaron, that uh, one thing that I suggested is like you would want to look at these kind of indicators in anti-fascist groups, right? Because sure. I'd be curious what you would 
see um i bet you actually would see mixed results because i think the left is really bad at interpersonal relationships and so (laughs) no i I really i'm I'm not kidding i really do think that we are bad at what you are describing here i think that's i i I would agree identity via ideas much worse at identity via persons um yeah so this is what you know like the language of comrades and uh that kind of thing i'm not saying it all sure it all falls in that like we said you know kinship kind of stuff is just it's like it's it's fairly common across a whole bunch of stuff I think but it's like, more effective in certain communities maybe or their language is better like like, like the comrade stuff doesn't instill in me a sense of obligation in the same way that i think that like fundamentalist christians really really feel that community connection but let me ask you about what seems to be the obvious pick which is why are have you i'm not like I, i'm jumping the gun here i apologize and i'll have you back on when you publish but why aren't you applying this to the guru sphere? Doesn't it seem like all of that interpersonal stuff you described in the first half of, you know, and you're talking about how they are obsessed with these interpersonal relationships, like sounds like they are doing exactly what you're describing here and that it might mean that they are creating a higher, like could explain why there's a higher risk of conspiracism in their community. Well, that's interesting. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think partly it is that, um, so you definitely get the perception of threat right and the the kind sure. of uh the vast conspiracy of evil forces which are targeting you you also get the like the strong in group out group markers right you are part of the select and and we are a uh you know like a brothership of of light or whatever you but i think one issue there is that the parasociality is more focused on the kind of guru figure, right? And consuming the their content. And that that means it's probably mm-hmm. uh-huh. more closer in line to like cultish dynamics as opposed to like extremist. So you're not terrorists. building like interpersonal communities where you hang out and talk about Jordan yeah. Peterson as much. There's some of it, but it's like it's not yeah. holding together as strongly as these other kinds of communities. And then it's lacking definitely in most cases the the endorsements of violence or calls to violence. Now, Alex Jones, for example, would be different than that, right? Because I think he is creating all of these things along with very, you know, like uh, subtle is not is doing them too much, <laughs> like landing right. them too much credibility. He is calling to violence often. On his well, how much, show, how much are y'all looking at implicit calls to violence versus explicit? Because I feel like if you look at your James Lindsay's of the IDW, right, who I still think should be, you know, par- considered part of this, even if they have been effectively excised at the moment, um, we saw how that's gone with Nawaz, right? Like, mm. uh, you know, I don't know that James ever explicitly said go murder a bunch of globalists, but he certainly has built a case for it in a very substantial way, and. I think we all like understand the idea that a lot of stochastic terrorism doesn't is not at any level built on someone explicitly saying, go rid me of these meddling priests. Right. It's very much like these people are an existential threat to everything you love. What are you going to do about it? Question mark. Right. Right. Yeah. And I I mean, I was just listening to. Um, there's a podcast called Some Dare Call It Conspiracy, um, and it's it's doing a multi-part series on the um, Pizzagate 
conspiracy, right? And they played a clip from InfoWars mm-hmm. where Owen Troyer was talking about Comet Ping Pong. And very much, it wasn't, it wasn't subtle. It was someone needs to go there. Somebody, you know, needs to stand up for what's right. If you go there, you'll be saving people. Look in the and and Infowars have scrubbed that now from you know for obvious reasons. Right. But, but even I, that is an explicit violence, right? Like he's just saying go there. He's not saying go there and kill anyone. He's saying just go there. No, but like Alex Jones is also saying, you know, we need to take care of this, and then like, but then there's there's always the disclaimers and stuff added in, and I. I do think, like, so one issue would be that there's the problem that calls to violence are actually sort of relatively common, right? Like that sure. you you do see people uh, endorsing them or, you know, kind of saying that we need to, now's the time, like, it's, we, and and so... The explicit endorsement of violence, although it's not acceptable, like on lots of things to do it outright, but but it's still there. Right. But that but that's the problem is like because that signal is there on its own, it in most occasions it doesn't lead to anything, right? Well, you'll, Even couldn't you'll have like an easier time then, like focusing on anti-vaxxer, for example, where people feel like they can be openly anti-vaxxer right now, and you could study like how much well, anti-vaxxerism the- taking up in certain communities like that. Yeah. So, but the, that's the kind of thing that I, I well, I, I do think it would be interesting to look at anti-vax uh, sentiment. But like, I, I would say that a whole bunch of, you know, violent conspiracy theorists, they are anti-vaxxers as, as sure. well, right? Like, there's, there's so certainly going to be overlaps. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so I I, think there's overlaps between the anti-vaxxers and the QAnon in the sense that it's often these online communities that are baking you know, together, right? When you bake together, it seems like you, you're you building these interpersonal relationships. So my, my feeling with the anti-vax stuff, and this, again, this is ill-formed thoughts, right? But just my initial reaction is like, the anti-vax sentiment is often a kind of stepping stone to the bigger conspiracy, right? Because you're first saying the mm-hmm. vaccines don't work, it's the pharmaceutical companies, but then there's always the step to who controls the pharmaceutical companies it's the wef great reset agenda right yeah. it's well Bill and you know Gates. my view that like as soon as like i do think as soon as you start down a like they big they rabbit hole like <laughs> there's, there's it, it's impossible to not let everything in the door right it's like you know your your epistemology becomes such that it's difficult to discount the other ones um yeah, and and often those are people with little hats that right. that are yes. uh, ultimately uh, yes. right. Right, the hats get smaller and smaller until they just fit <laughs> on the back of your head, and then then you've solved the question of who's causing all the problems. So, but, um, but that's the that's the point to me a little bit is that you, so if you were looking at anti-vax communities or whatnot, that you. You won't get, mm-hmm. I mean, I think you will get some groups where it's more moderate and there's there's kind of just like contrarian doctors. But I think the more that you get into the hardcore anti-vax stuff, it gets into the melange of like, uh, you know, the, the kind of conspiracism that you see in QAnon that you previously saw in militia communities and, and so on. Like, there, so, and, and that yeah. I wonder, because I mean, like, you can get it that people, you know, attacked abortion clinics, right? So it's not sure. like 
you can't. And I was have... worried that people were going to attack, um, like vaccine uh, COVID vaccine places, and it seems like yeah. it hasn't happened. With thankfully, um, that I, I know of at least. I wouldn't be significant degree, but like you, it wouldn't have been a shock had it have happened, right? And it would have been a very scene... plausible soft target. It seems like. Um, yeah, we're a little over time. We're starting to run late here. I do want to ask a little bit, like, is there anything applicable at this point in this research that we can, like, use to actually help people reduce risk, or are we mostly just still trying to like map causes and then hopefully be able to influence them to some degree? Well, I think the general with this kind of material, I, I think Julia is probably more directly involved with, you know, like counterterrorism efforts and that kind of thing. And those organizations are always attempting to look for, you know, stuff that they can flag up material. And and that's an issue. You got a lot of recorded right? language that they want to uh, analyze is what you're saying. You know, right. the NSA and, needs some new technologies, eh? Right. So that's, and that's a concern, right? Like, because you, you have to factor in that people, whatever disclaimers you put in, people may just go, well, okay, let's just apply this corpus and say the, anybody who flags up these three things causes danger. So I, I think it's important to emphasize that like all the, the kind of work that we have done here and these, these models, they have to be considered alongside you know like deep qualitative analysis and that they they shouldn't be treated as like they're more scientifically rigorous right like it should be mm -hmm. i i would want to emphasize that these are i think using linguistic analysis and this kind of stuff we should be doing it and we should be uh like the, the material is there people are you know, going to do it in any, in any case, and like the tools to to be able to do it are getting better. Um, and there's a lot of conspiracism and extremism around. So you know, analytical tools for doing it are important. But I I'm wary about people applying like simplistic models or becoming theoretically devoted to you know a specific mm -hmm. set of predictors and like i i prefer to emphasize like a a triangulation approach um but but one that that takes like linguistic analysis serious so so yeah i'm i'm pretty it is a very woke uh, qualitative position I, I appreciate that you have adopted that and acknowledged it openly here um yeah i just don't want to be <laughs> end up <laughs> like be somebody getting you know flagged up on a terrorist watch list sure. or something because sure. they they talked about their brothers in a struggle or something um but would be a deep yeah. irony given your heritage wouldn't it um, <laughs> yes it, it it would so yeah been, yes. but well, you have been a very amicable irishman and i do appreciate it um Speaking of overly simplistic models, though, I do unfortunately have to torture you before we get on to the bonus times. So you're familiar I'm with how this works, but this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. And for folks who are not familiar, I'm going to give you a list of things. You are going to tell me, are these things real or not real? Um, this will make you sad and everyone will laugh and that'll be fun. Um, are you ready? Yeah, though I've done it once before, so doesn't that mean like we, I'm pretty? It's new ones now. 
It's new. Oh, ones it's now. new ones. I'll bug her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I was yeah, yeah. like, eh, yeah, no, we're, you know. we started over with new things now. So you're going to have to, and some of these are going to be particularly tricky for you given the work that you do. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this. Mm. Um, so first of all, like I always have to check at this point, is anything real? Yeah. All right. So let's code real or not real with no notes. Uh, bodies, real or not real? Real. Okay. Minds, real or not real? Real. <laughs> I have to tell you all the face he's making is impressive. Uh, free will. Oh, real. <laughs> wow, I took the wind out of those sails fast. Uh, luck. Um, real. <laughs> I guess it's real. <laughs> Demons. Not real. Oh, afterlife. Not real. Truth. Real. Beauty. Yeah, real. <laughs> Justice. Real, real, yeah. Not, no, not real, not real. Kind of real. Not real. Uh, real. Pick one. Not real. Not real, all right, not real. Okay, and finally, hope. Well, I said Justin's, I guess not real then. <laughs> All right. You have survived. How do you feel? Uh, not good. <laughs> not good. I was All feeling... All about how it had the first round, yeah. Yeah, that was easy up till when I detected my obvious contradictions. <laughs> and then it upset me. As always fun. I liked that you, with very little equivocation or attempts to use real or not real, still conveyed a wide range of emotions. You really <laughs> went from happy to very sad to back to happy for a second on demons and then way, way down into sad, which was pretty funny. I, I think it's interesting. You could do a study, Aaron, in the reactions that you get to this because I particularly enjoy when you do this activity with people who are, you know, maybe somewhat more suspicious of you are less agreeable than I am. Sure. And they are obviously regarded as like a trap. <laughs> and, so, and so they're, or the, <laughs> the people stupidest who, trap want, of all time. <laughs> who want to qualify, it, you know, you, you explain the rules. I'm a rule-based guy. You know, you say, yeah, you're do a rule this or that. But, but all the people are like, each answer gets a large explanation. Like, you'll get to do that. That's, that's why it's hard. So anyway, I'm just complaining about your... Other guests, not me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I'm glad you're picking fights with my other guests. I love that. Love that for everyone. Um, Chris, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. I assume you'll stick around and let me um, torture you a bit more in the VIP. Um, do you want to let folks know where they can find you in the meantime? You, yeah. Yeah. You can find me on Google <laughs> Don't Scholar. <laughs> Don't talk to yourself. <laughs> yeah. You can find me on Google Scholar and you should. I with all if you're any interest in that research, look up the stuff by Julia Ebner because she's the lead uh, on all this. I have stuff that's more related to like ritual material and this model, um, and the theoretical model if you want. And then the podcast that I have decoding the gurus with one Matthew Smith uh from Australia and an elderly professor yeah. that I yeah. help out, um, you know, as like a kind of uh, charity case. So we have a podcast that we do to keep Matthew busy at the weekends, and and you might enjoy it if you keep him off like the sauce. Topic. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
That's great. I appreciate it. Yeah, folks, you definitely listen to Decode the Gurus. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the Oprah episode recently made me deeply, deeply frustrated. So congratulations on still being able to make me, me feel too. bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right. And then come, you know, hang out with us and listen a little more, you know, go join us on Patreon. Um, otherwise, thanks for joining us. That's where I'm going to put all my hot takes. You all these people I don't like, Aaron, that I don't talk about, I'm going to put it, I'll tell you now. <laughs> there we go. Here we go. Let's go spill some tea. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks again to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. Thanks to our new monthly voidling, Who Am I? And our newest monthly avout, Jody Delani. Um, and as always, I would like to thank our top tier patrons, our Archon level patrons, give to modestneeds.org, then visit deepfakestop.com, Alex Beneshek, Serious Inquiries Only, Lawrence Shielding, Dude, Fix the Vote, and Fuck the Armchair Death Cult Known as Humanism, Atheist for Life. Somebody went to the AHS convention. Um, and all the thanks to our Archduke level patron, Big Easy Blasphemy. Thank you all so very much. If you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space, with my co-host Callie Wright of the Queer Explaining Podcast. While you're at it, check out my wonderful editor, Louisa Lyons's Filmed Live Musicals podcast. Leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can also follow me well, not on Twitter anymore, um, or email me at voidpod at gmail.com. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you this level of professionalism plus uh, um, bonus content. And most of all, no matter your level of linguistic identity fusion, you are the void and the void is you. 